Uh, it's our privilege and pleasure to introduce you to our guest speaker today. David Wood uh, hardly seems like a guest because we have invited him. Uh, he's a good friend of our congregation for many years now. I don't even have a clue how many, 15 or 20 years. Uh, and uh, he comes often and we love having him here. And so uh, him and his wife Karen uh, live in the city uh, and they have three kids and they were all grown now. Um, and uh, he's the uh, associate pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church, and uh, we're so um, grateful to um, share kingdom values together and just continue to work together in our city for the glory of God. So come on up here, David. Can we uh, give him a warm welcome today? Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. Good to be here. Always is good to be here. For the record, it's always good to be here. Um, do you know that um, Christmas is two weeks away? Two weeks away. Now, I know some of you here this morning, you're like, okay, how did it get to be only two weeks away? And some of you are like, you know, I haven't started my shopping or anything. And so I don't know if it helps, but I haven't either. Uh, <laughs> I go to the mall once a year, and uh, my kids will always know that when I go to the mall, I always say the same thing. You can, you can bank on it. I, uh, I say, um, I hate the mall. Uh, <laughs> but I have to go there once, once a year. Um, it's a busy time of year, but I've always, always loved Advent. I just love preparing for Christmas. But I say that, but not all my memories of Christmas are pleasant. And I bet for many of you here, um, there are some memories associated with Christmas that are not always that good. Every Christmas, uh, I always remember one particularly unpleasant Christmas. And uh, it's, it's when I was uh, living and working overseas. I was living and working in, uh, in Shanghai. So it was Christmas 1993, the days of yore, a long time ago. Um, at the time, my life, if I were to describe my life, it was a bit of a mess. Actually, that's not true. It was a real mess. Um, and I had given up in my life. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I had given up finding meaning in this world, I had given up finding purpose in this world, and so I, I kind of dove into um, looking for meaning in money and power and pleasure. And I remember one Christmas Eve going to a bar with some colleagues of mine. We were living in Shanghai, and uh, it was Christmas Eve, so we were like, well, let's go out. And where, where do you go? You just go to a bar. And we went to a bar, and uh, it was depressing. It was so depressing. I was there with some colleagues from work, and I remember looking around, seeing all this tacky kind of Christmas decoration that didn't really make a whole lot of sense, and I remember that uh, that night I drank a lot with my, with my buddies, and um, we shared a cab to go back to our hotel where we lived, and uh, if you've ever lived in a hotel, it's one of the loneliest places to live, and I remember coming back one night, and uh, we're in the cab. And just 
out of, the, out of nowhere, uh, a dump truck comes screaming across our, our, our way and, 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 and hits our cab straight on. And the only thing that, that saved us, other than God, I didn't believe in God at the time, but um, was the fact that our, our, our cab probably only weighed like 85 pounds. It was this like little tiny cab. And so it hit us and we went flying across the road. And just and stopped. And then we kept driving. <laughs> we just kept driving. The guy's like, whoa, whoa. And we're all like, what just happened? And he's like, okay. And he keeps driving. I'm like, how are we still alive? And so we get back to the hotel. And I just got to my hotel room. I'm like, what, what is happening to my life? How am I still alive? And all I could think about is what a mess my life was. Now, I say this because some of you, when you think of Christmas, maybe even now, it's not always a pleasant memory. For me, I, I never knew tidings of comfort and joy. I was like the people in the, in the prophecy in the book of Isaiah. I was like a people walking in darkness. I was walking in deep darkness spinning my wheels, going nowhere. And I actually got to the point, and I've shared this before, I actually got to the point where I, I asked the question, is life even worth living? And some of you may be in the same place. And maybe some of you are here because you've been invited, but your heart is heavy. And, it, it, and the heart gets heavier at this time of year. I know that. So I want to say to you this morning what someone said to me two months after I almost died in that accident. I want to say to you uh, these words. The light has come. The light has come. I want to read to you this morning from the book of John. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of John. This may be a very familiar passage to some of you, but maybe not to all. John chapter 1. The Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him not anything was um, made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him he was not the light but came to bear witness about the light the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him he came to his own to his own and his own people did not receive him but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace, upon grace 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive from you. We ask this in your name. Amen. So the story of Advent is this. The light has come. And what this means is that the second person of the Godhead, the one who is called the Word, the one who was with God and who was God, the eternal Word, the mystery of God himself has come. The light has come into this world. We believe that God entered into fragile human flesh as a fragile human being into space and time. We believe something historical happened. The Christmas message is historical. Christianity is historical. It is rooted in a person and an event. The person is Jesus Christ. The event is his life, death, and resurrection. And so there's a realism at play here. For those who are walking in darkness, something has happened. It really happened. That has changed the trajectory of history and it can change the trajectory of our lives. Jesus, the light of the world, has come in space, in time, in history, and things will never be the same again. Now, I say this. And some of you are hearing me and you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, the light has come. And you're polite and you're, and, and you're not going to say anything. You don't want to cause a scene. But some of you, I say to you, the light has come. In history, in time. And some of you, you're not going to say this out loud. But inside you're thinking, yeah, right. Or you might be responding with the famous question that shows up in a bar. Says who? How do you know this? How do you know this, David? I mean, it sounds good. It sounds good. It sounds, in fact, too good to be true. How can you say this actually happened? Well, a big part of how we know this is true is because of eyewitnesses to the event. Now, I've, I hear people often say, well, eyewitnesses, how can you trust these eyewitnesses? I'm like, okay. But there's a lot of them. And why should we simply dismiss them? I mean, if you get enough people from enough different backgrounds, different interests, who give testimony to what they have seen. Should they be discounted? I mean, listen to what John says in 1 John. I mean, this is pretty, pretty blunt. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked on and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. 
And we testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life which was with the Father, was made manifest to us that we have seen and heard. We proclaim to you that, no, that you too may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, and, we're, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I mean, it's, it's over and over again. We have seen, we have touched, we're telling you. And you have to realize, I mean, what these people are saying is, is quite incredible. No, it's, and it's not like, oh, in the olden days, everybody believed that dead people rose again. No, no, in the olden days, people who died tended to stay dead. Right? It's true. In the olden days, you know, it's not like God became man. It's not, oh, this happens all the time. No, it doesn't. In fact, in the Greco-Roman world, the idea that God would become flesh was was crazy talk. And so you have people saying things that in their own culture is like, this is pretty strange stuff that you're saying. But people are saying, it happened. And we can't simply dismiss that. There's a, there's a, a really interesting scholar, Simon, you know him, uh, Richard Balcom, who's written, he's a Cambridge uh, professor of history, and um, He's written a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he says, like, these eyewitnesses, they count. We should pay attention to this. So who are these witnesses? Well, in our passage, in verse 6, we read, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And so this fellow named John who shows up in the passage, who's he? Yeah, John the Baptist, yeah. And um, he's, he's actually a guy whose name shows up consistently in all the four Gospels. Um, and he consistently prepares people for the coming of the light. And I love the way he's introduced. Because you have this, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it's pretty elevated stuff, and then we get these words. And there was a man. There's this guy. His name is John. Like, it's just a real shift. There's some guy who saw some pretty important things. I love it. It's, it's, it's earthy. And in the book of John, John the Baptist is sent by God to bear witness to the light. And somehow John had come into union with God. He experienced life himself. And now his purpose is to point people to the coming of the light. And as it turns out, if you do a little digging, this John the Baptist is the last of a great line of prophets from, who range right through the Old Testament who speak forth the truths of God. In our passage, he points to the coming of Jesus. Later on, he keeps pointing to Jesus. Uh, he refers to Jesus. He says, hey, look, it's the Lamb of God, which is kind of an ominous thing to call somebody because lambs tended to be slaughtered then. And I want you to notice something. That this fellow John, John the Baptist, is a pretty charismatic fellow. It would be hard to miss him in a crowd. He had a strange diet of locusts and honey. Honey I like, but uh, yeah. Um, he, had, he had strange attire. And like many charismatic leaders, he actually had a lot of followers. But, we have to see this. Every step of the way, John, rather than building up a following, 
he consistently points away from himself. And he points to Jesus. Look, look. And as you make your way through the book of John, it's amazing to see former followers of John become followers of Jesus. And John's posture was that of a witness, of an eyewitness. He's like, look, look. And so John the Baptist is our primary witness so far. But I wonder, I wonder if there's another witness in the background of this passage. There is another witness. And this witness is actually always present, but blends into the background, but can't help himself. Sometimes shows up into the foreground. And we can't always see him, but we know his name. What's his name? Also John. It's the writer of the gospel, right? And John the evangelist, as he is known. And could it be that he's including himself in this growing list of witnesses? I think it's true. Because we see this in, in John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In chapter 21, verse 24 we read these words. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So John's gospel is written by a very close follower of Jesus who is in direct contact with Jesus through all the key points of his life. So it's a pretty key witness. But there are other witnesses who are some of the other witnesses? Well, Mary might have been one, given that she had a front row seat on the incarnation. She gave birth to the one who is the light of the world. There's another woman named Mary who was rescued out of great darkness by the light. There's the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's the writers of the New Testament, each book giving eyewitness to the reality that the light has come. There's apostles, disciples. Uh, there's many women. Uh, there's a fellow named Paul who ends up writing much of the New Testament. And then there's this almost casual reference that hundreds, hundreds of people have seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ after he had been killed on the cross. And so my point is simply this, is that these witnesses, you can't just dismiss them. And they have all one thing in common. They're given testimony to the fact that the light has come. But you know what? There's more witnesses even. Because there's witnesses throughout history. I mean, if you look at the witnesses of, of, of people who experienced the transformation of life and the impact that they had upon the world. I just uh, taught a class, <laughs> and it's a 10-week class, and the class is called uh, How Christianity Saves Civilization. <laughs> but in, in the class, I, I was just saying, many of the things we take for granted in our world today, about human rights and hospitals and healthcare and all sorts of things, humility and, and work and how we see work, a lot of these things that we just take for granted are, is, is, is the way things are, are not the way things are but actually are a product of this revolution initiated 2,000 years ago when the light came into the world. And our world has never been the same again. And one of the things, one of the things that, that, that transformed the Greco-Roman world was this idea that, that death would not have the last word. 
And if you're living in the Greco-Roman world in the first century or the second century and you're, and you're a woman, things, you know, your prospects are not great since in the Greco-Roman world, what did Aristotle say about women? Women are deformed males. Ouch. They're like unripened fruit. How he ever got a girlfriend is beyond me. But, um, and, and so if you're a woman or if you're a slave and you're not even a human being or you're a barbarian, so you're an out, outsider, all of these groups, you had nothing. You had nothing. And one of the things that just transformed 2,000 years ago is that people began to have hope that, there is, that the that future was not a closed thing. But there is, there's, there's an openness to the future. That history was not some cycle repeating itself. But because Jesus was raised, you and I can be raised. The death would not have the final word. It had a huge impact upon all of society. And this revolution just transformed the Greco-Roman world. Because you have witnesses to the light There was a possibility of a different future for everyone. And the eyewitnesses to a transformed life cried out in the Roman Empire that life is not meaningless, but full of potential. The future was wide open. A future determined not by cruel fate, but by a loving God. And now my point is simply this. That history is filled with witnesses who are telling this truth over and over again. The light has come. The light has come now for myself. I'm so glad that one of the witnesses, his name was Jeff, and he told me when I was in a hotel room, in Ho when I was in a hotel in Hong Kong three months after that accident, he told me that the light has come. And it changed my life. I'm, I'm standing here because of a witness. Right? Many of you can say the same thing. So what do all these witnesses have in common? Well, two things. One is that they're willing to be a witness, and secondly, they're willing to bear witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, to be a witness means we're willing to point away from ourselves. To be a witness is to get out of the way. <laughs> So people can see the light of the world. And I love it. When John's disciples leave to follow Jesus, John's like, hey, wait, 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 wait. You are my disciples. You're followers of John. No, he's just like, go. Go. And what does he say? He says, I need to decrease, and Jesus needs to increase. It's not about me. And a big part of being a witness is getting out of the way. Recognizing that, yes, we're the light of the world. You know, Jesus says, you are the salt, you're to be salt and light. But it's not our own light, it's Jesus' light in us. Our role is to only be a witness to show how great Jesus is. And that's why I always say, like, I hate, well, I shouldn't say this, but yeah, I'll say it. Um, I hate, and I know, Derwin, you don't do this. I hate when people speak at me. I hate when people speak at me. Our posture as Christians is to come alongside and say, hey man, I'm in the same boat as you, but look how beautiful this is. That's our posture, is look, 
Don't look at me. Look that way, right? Now, the danger, what's the danger? The danger is, is that sometimes we get in the way of things, don't we? Some, sometimes, sometimes our posture is not look at Jesus. And this is where Christians run into trouble. It's look at me as a follower of Jesus. Now, there's a danger there. When I say, look at me as a follower of Jesus, we're on dangerous ground. Because then we start elevating ourselves. Look at me as a godly person. Look at me as a man of God. I, I, I used to go out uh, running with this one guy. And he would always say to me, uh, and he's always trying to, I don't know if he's trying to impress me or what, but he's just like, oh, Pastor David, all I want to do in life is to be a man of God. I'm like, ah, oh, that's really stupid. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you can be so hard in trying to become a man of God that you miss God. Right? We just try to puff ourselves up. Look at me, I'm a godly person, I'm a godly person. Well, really, on our own, we can't be a godly person. Only by looking at Jesus can we be transformed. But as we build ourselves up, and if you're charismatic, and you said, look at me, look at me, look at me, and you're charismatic, I'll tell you, you know what happens? That's where cults are formed. And that's where, you, you know, you read in the news about all these Christian leaders hitting the ditch. It's because they stop saying, look. They start saying, look at me. It happens all the time. So what does it mean to be a witness? Well, we need to be like John. We decrease and he increases. It's not about us. We just point people to Jesus. And so what does it mean to bear witness in? Well, it means we carry with us the truth of who Jesus is. And you need to know this truth. You need to know it so well that it just spills out. What is this truth? Well, the truth is the light has come. Our, as we sang this morning... The long-expected Jesus, our long expectation has been realized. That in the birth of Jesus, in the incarnation, the prophecies have been fulfilled. Because of Jesus, his life, death, his teaching, his resurrection, a new age has dawned. The kingdom of God has broken into this world, and our, our world and our lives will never be the same again. Our future is not closed, it's hopeful. Because Jesus was raised to life, so shall we be. And the truth is, you and I are living between two Advents, right? The first Advent is the incarnation, but there's a second Advent, and that's Jesus' return. The history's not cyclical. It, it was Jesus saying, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end, Right? The truth is that your life, my life, will only work the way it's supposed to work when it is aligned to the architect of life, which is Jesus. And is it any wonder that our lives don't work when we're not in sync with Jesus? Jesus is the arche and the telos, the beginning and the end. So he's the grand architect. And only when we build our lives in accordance with Jesus will it work the way it's supposed to work. The truth is that God has entered into the details of history. Duran, I love what you said earlier. 
He said, you know, we can't save everyone. We can't help everyone, but we can help this family. And the thing is, is that God, God does not love humanity. God loves you. He loves you. And he loves you in the details of your life. God does not work in generalities. God is not a generalist God. He is a God who loves you. And, he knows, and his, his, his love is so infinite that he can love us finitely. And he loves us in the details of our lives. Do you believe that? The truth is, the injustices of this life and this world will not have the final word. There's one who, for the love of man, came down into the fearful pit of history, into the miry clay of the sins and miseries of the world. The light has come once and for all. Now, I just want to say one more thing, and it's, it's an awkward thing. Do you know... And I know Simon, you know the answer. I keep picking. Simon, he knows all the answers. What is the Greek word for, mar, uh, for, um, for witness? That's it. Martyrus. I'm, I'm assuming you had it right, yeah. <laughs> Actually, you got it wrong, but I don't want to point it. No, <laughs> you got it right. What English word do we get from that? Martyr. There's a deep connection between witness and martyr. It's the same word. And, and it's awkward because it reminds us that throughout history there is a deep connection between witness and martyr. Because the reality is not everybody likes the light. Not everybody's excited that the light has come. Before I was a Christian, I wasn't excited about the light. And what happens to all these Witnesses. Well, well, what happens to John the Baptist? Loses his head. Every disciple, except for John, is killed. John's exiled to Alcatraz, or Patmos, as it's known. Um, and this carries on today. The most persecuted people group every year are people who identify with Jesus. There is a cost to discipleship. But if life is found in Jesus, how can we not bear witness? So how do we respond to all this? Well, one, be a witness. <laughs> Don't get in the way, but point. Recognizing the paradox that when we lose our life, only then will we find it. Secondly, bear witness. Know the truth and proclaim it with grace and love and courage remembering that there's a cost to discipleship. But the most important response is captured in this passage. Believe. Believe. Now notice John doesn't say deeply believe. He doesn't say sincerely believe. He doesn't say entirely believe. Or try really hard to believe, because if he did, if he had those qualifiers, it would be all about us, right? But it's not about us. Our response is to believe. You know what my big prayer when I was in a hotel room in Shanghai? You know what my big prayer of confession when I gave my life to Jesus? You know what it was? If you're the real thing, I'm in. 
God, if you're the real thing, I'm in. That was it. That was my highfalutin prayer. It's like, I'm like, I was tired of being God in my life. So I said, if you're real, I'm in. And I felt this huge weight come off my back. And I was set free. Because Jesus does all the heavy lifting. Our response is like, do we believe or not? So where are you at this morning? Are you tired of running your own life? Tired of being God in your own life? It's tiring. You trying? Is it? Are you still trying to instill meaning in your own life on your own? That's tiring. It gets so tiring. Our posture is like, I, I got nothing, but I give it to you. Does that make sense? The light has come. Millions have testified, and millions today continue to testify. And our response is, yes, Lord, I believe. Let's pray. Jesus, we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing. It's all about you and what you have done. And so we come before you and we say, I believe. I believe. I believe. And then grant us the courage to turn around and, and point and say, look. Look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Christmas, Lord, grant us the courage, one, to enter into the reality that you have come, and two, to turn around to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family members, and say, look, look how beautiful Jesus is. So we commit our lives to you. We pray that you would go before us, that you would surround us, that you would draw us deeper and deeper into who you are. That's our desire, in Jesus' name, amen.